rebuild of the favorites. We here for the latest. South side or the north side. Not tuned to the greatest. Home team for the home teams. Both sides got our own rings. On the mound or the long ball. But we don't put the wrong strings. Yeah. It's that time of the year now. Wrigley or Gantes so or the whole league that we hear now. New show with a new mood. Discussions and interviews. Trade rumors that might be. This is Pinwheels and Knife. Yeah. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season they get all changed. Take me out to the bar game. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy. What's going on, everybody? It is Thursday, July 28th, and you have found the Pinwheels and Ivy podcast. I am your host, Matt Swaski, a.k.a. Father Zoe, a.k.a. Southside Zoe. And with me, as always, the good Reverend K. Fids. Hey, yeah, I'm actually passing up on a, a cameo appearance in the A&E television special being filmed at one of my girlfriend, my fiance's uh, clients, where I would have gotten to sit in the background at a table and been an extra while they film really delicious um, burnt and hot dogs. So, yeah, so I think I win. Big movie star. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get a lot more FaceTime here. And if you want burnt hot dogs, dude, I can make that happen for you. And, of course, our man down there, which, folks, we got a good show for you, but you're going to want to stay put for the NASCAR Minute at the end of the show. There was a lot of shit going on. That's our guy, oh, yeah. NASCAR Mitch. So much drama. A lot. <laughs> it's like a soap what? opera down there for Redneck. Great. <laughs> We have a fan. I'm sorry, I can't even say it with a straight face. I'm, I'm working on it, Mitch. I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, we have a great show uh, for you today. Um, we have two really good guests, so it's going to be a little bit different. Aldo's getting married, so he chose his future wife over us. Cool. Um, and, <laughs> and we have a really great show. As you can see, we have a fourth member with us uh, right now. That is Greg Huss. Um, so we're going to go over all things Cubs, draft, farm system, trade deadline rumors. And then later on in the show, uh, we do have another guest coming on that we're going to speak about the White Sox with. That is Mr. Uh, Daniel Victor. You guys are going to love him. He's a great insider as well for the White Sox. I've known Dan for a little bit now, following him on Twitter. But unlike we usually do, we're going to do Cubs first this time. Uh, of course, when all those gone, we're going to actually do the Cubs first. So... Uh, let me give you guys a little introduction here for our good friend, Greg. Greg is the co-founder of At Northside Bound. He's the lead writer for Real Cubs Insider. He's the co-host of the Growing Cubs podcast, and he is a nerd everywhere. You can follow him at Out of the Vines. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to talk some some draft stuff and some prospect stuff, always. All right. Well, Fids, I know you've done a lot of... <laughs> Like very heavy research. Fitz was very excited you were coming on, Greg. And usually we're a very loose show, we'll say this way. Fitz did his homework this time. Fitz is ready to go. He has been chomping at the bit to get into the Cubs draft. Me and NASCAR over there are the are the White Sox portion of the show. I do have some questions though about the Cubs draft, but I'm gonna let Fitz lead it off because I know you've had something on your mind for a while. Well, uh, hey, look, we've got to be honest here. We were doing this because it's the only thing Cub fans have to be excited about right now. We, <laughs> yeah. 
we're 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 capitalizing on hope uh, again like the previous 108 years prior to 2016. So we're, we, we got to get excited about teenagers for a little, oh, that sounds so creepy, but um, we got to get really excited about the prospect. So the draft means a lot more when you're drafting in the top, you know, eight picks is top seven picks in the Cubs case. So um, yeah, yeah. You know, Greg, I'm really happy to have you on. I am. I'm really super stoked. I know you, you know, you, you put in a ton of time covering the Cubs in the farm system and, you know, I really do appreciate you taking the time out to to kind of share that kind of stuff with yeah, us yeah. as well here on the Pinwheels and Radio. So it feels like I, my you know, time to shine a little bit. You know, I mean, with with how crappy the, the major league team is and all those all the sell offs and back to back years, it feels like it's finally my time. You know, right, right. It was a thing that you know a couple of years ago we thought no way we would ever have to be that caught up in the Cubs farm system where it was really the only entertainment in town, even if it's not in town and it's somewhere in Myrtle Beach or uh, South Bend or uh even even tennessee oh tennessee especially um so well you know the cubs draft obviously came out uh the, the cubs came out firing uh shocked a little bit there was you know i mean we talked about it here on the show a little bit when we you know the when the draft was coming that i was very huge uh fan of cam collier he was there i was super stoked i'm like there's no way they're gonna pass on him last year i really had a huge meltdown when Mont- uh, colson montgomery was available for the Cubs and, and and then they took Jordan Wicks, which then of course the White Sox took Colson Montgomery instead. And he's obviously been playing well. So for me, it was like two years in a row. Here we go. Cam Collier. Don't do it. Don't do it. And Kate Horton, the Cubs yeah. dropped, dropped down and draft a guy that was projected more than the mids, mids to late, not necessarily in the top 10 and on most lists, but the Cubs, you know, went out and, and got a big right hander from Oklahoma who basically earned his draft spot. In his draft, you know, uh, his, I guess draft capital, if you will, with the final five starts of his uh, his last year in college during in the College World Series on the biggest stage. So, um, you know, big righty. He has a seventy pitch fastball, but he has a, a huge sweeping uh, slider. He's a a converted third baseman, a guy that actually pitched. He's coming off Tommy John surgery uh, about a year and a half ago. Was playing third base for him a little bit. Was doing some stuff out of the bullpen. Slowly started ramping him up. And one of his teammates actually taught him a slider. Um, and that slider obviously has been grading out as one of the best, if not the best slider of any pitcher coming out to the draft. Um, he signed for $1.2 million under his slot. So, I mean, obviously we'll talk about that strategy in a second because there obviously was there was there was a reason why the Cubs took someone like Horton early and then Jackson Ferris second. We'll get to Jackson Ferris in a second as well. But um, he really made his money with that. He, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of scouts felt he was very underappreciated. You know, the, the injury risk was there. Um, you know, it has a position player, a little bit more wear and tear, but it, it, you know, as a projectable, he's a big anchor of a rotation kind of guy. And and he's a guy that can lean heavily on his breaking ball now because he's learned this slider that, that really is dirty. So um, I guess out of the blue, I mean, first, first off thoughts on the draft as a whole, but then, you know, take us into what you thought about um, the, the Horton pick, which was a little bit of a shocker for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, man, I think the draft as a whole, like going 16, 16 pitchers versus only four position was super interesting, especially in a draft and going first and second round pitchers, especially in a draft that was talked about as being bat heavy, bat heavy, bat heavy. And then they, they zig when everybody else zags and you go with all the pitchers. And I mean, at some, like, I, I respect that to a certain degree. I, I respect the front office and the draft, the draft team's ability to trust that pitching infrastructure they have in place. I know that there's been, we've written a couple of articles over at Northside Bound uh, recently about the pitch lab 
we you always hear about this damn pitch lab man and you always hear about it and it's one of those things where the pitch lab all, all it is is like every team has this pitch lab every team has the the same technology and the same ability to to take this pitch lab they have down in Arizona on the road with them to their different ballparks uh but it's just ability to coach these players up using that technology and have that knowledge and obviously the front office is trusting that technique uh, in this draft and, and drafting 16 pitchers uh, go with Cade Horton is super interesting because I mean, like you heard it as soon as he was drafted, like it was the helium pick, right. It was just climbing up draft boards everywhere because of you're right. That performance that he had starting in the big 12 tournament and then going on through the, the college world series uh, because of that slider. And I think my favorite thing with, with the pick of Cade Horton is we've seen in the Cubs system that they work with pitchers to change and their repertoires all the time. And like, we're saw like we see at the major league level with Keegan Thompson, he picked up that slider in like a week later, after he picked up the slider, he was using it and it's his best pitch, you know? <laughs> so for Kate Horton to show that ability and show that athleticism too, to change what he's doing. And that's a big thing too. I mean, Kate Horton was recruited a quarterback at Oklahoma too. Like this is a really good athlete and the Cubs have had a lot of success looking at guys like DJ hers, uh, we saw Cohen Moreno make his debut. Guys are like freak athletes on the mound. And that goes a long way in the development of these guys. I really like a guy that can tweak what he's doing on the fly and change it up. And obviously, Cade Horton with that slider. And that slider is like not like when it's at its best, it is not a normal slider where it's like really like going a, like like glove side, like his glove side away. Like that thing is dropping off the table down, you know, like that is it's going straight. You know what Matt Swarmer was doing earlier this season out of his over the top arm slot. Basically, Kate Horton was doing that out of like a three quarters arm slot. And it's going just, the ball is just dropping straight down. It's like, how how on earth is that happening? So he needs to work out some things to make sure that's more consistent, obviously. But it's an app, man. Like it's coming in at like high 80s, too. Well, that's the thing, like it, it, that sweep, and and what you're saying when he comes from a three quarter delivery, you're 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 talking about a guy that's actually able to hide the baseball longer too, and it gets out of his hand quicker. So, that's a that that's I mean, for me, is there a concern though that he's this is a new slider, he's coming off Tommy John surgery, and it's a pitch that they're going to say, wait, we need you to rely on this. This is what you get outs with because you know getting outs with his fastball, he was it seemed quite average with getting outs with his fastball compared to using that secondary stuff and especially that, that, that sweeper. And is there a concern? Do you think there's a, is it a rightful concern? Is there a concern? Should there be a concern that a guy coming off a of TJ, even though it's been a couple, you know, a year and a half plus or whatever that, 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 you know, relying on this as a bread and butter is a little bit of a, a bigger gamble than maybe the Cubs might be projecting out there right now. Cause it, it feels to me like it's a gamble with a guy that's going to, you know, we don't know how many bolts that, and is that slider healthy? Like, is it, is it, is it really mechanically sound? We won't know till obviously you get to the Cubs. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? Dude, it, it's perfect that Cade Horton was the first round pick in a draft that is like low. Like he epitomizes this draft, you know, where they went after a whole bunch of guys that were high ups, like, like high risk, high reward guys. And he is that to a T, you know, where he's a big body. He's a big arm uh, outside the Tommy John. Like if you look at him pitch and you look at his, his body and you look at his, his the way he throws the baseball, You'd think that he's he's a, a guy that's gonna like hold up in the rigors of a long season. You know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, he's coming off that Tommy John not too long ago. Um, but fans have been like shouting for a guy like Kate Horton. You know, they they want a high upside number one starter 
and he could fizzle out. That could happen. He may not develop that changeup. He may that that fastball may not be. It's obviously seven seventy grade because of the velo. I don't don't think the the I don't think the the pitch shape on that fastball is super great. Um, he may fizzle out, but he also may end up being a number one starter for this team. And right right now in the Cub system, they don't don't have those like number one starters. I'm a huge fan of DJ Hurst. I'm a huge fan of even coming back in his way. In and we got Jordan with Jordan, like all these. Guys, I just don't think they're number one starters, you know. And so I yeah. think that the way that this is set up now, a lot of really intriguing arms, are really intriguing bats. This system afford to take a risk and go after these K bats and your mule and all these guys throughout the school or throughout the past. I really like strategy. It's different, weird, but. Um, uh oh, looks like we got a little bit of a, a little bit of a lag, but yeah, like I I actually agree. I mean, what what Greg's talking about is the fact that we that, that the Cub fans need you, you want a number one. You need a a dude, and he projects as a dude. He is he is big, strong. Uh, he's a uh, <laughs> he's he's powerful. He's got some good movement. He also is a bulldog, and he showed up on the biggest stage. And and so when you have a guy, you know, to have a number one, and like he said, Jordan Wicks last year's first pick. You know, he might project as a three or a four, possibly, but I don't think he projects as an ace. And you've got these guys in the system, but you don't have somebody that's going to stand up and come through the, you know, the White Sox had, you know, up until recently, at least he's not really done it as well, but Cease is becoming that. Uh, but, you know, Giolito was supposed to be something like that for the White Sox as well. It's supposed to be just the man on the bump. And and they got potentially someone that that can do that. Um, so after the first pick, the Cubs went uh, went to the high school level, and they took a kid, left-handed pitcher, Jackson Ferris, out of IMG Academy. Big lefty. Struck out 189 and 105 innings of work in two seasons at IMG, which is one of the better like baseball factories in the country. Had a 1-3-3 ERA. But the thing I like best is high school coach. And this is a lefty that, that will probably sign for above slot, which is why they you know Horton signing for below slot. This is where that kind of averages are out. This is what makes the Horton pick, to me, palatable is really the Cubs got two mid to late first round picks if you take the mean of the average of the two. Um, Ferris could be a dude as well for the Cubs. And I love this. His high school coach said he has a fire in the belly mentality. And I love hearing that kind of stuff about a guy on the bump because you want a bulldog out there. You want someone that's going to go out there and and, and take command of a, of a ball game and, and be a game changer. There's a fastball somewhere between 93 and 95. He's got a curveball changeup that are considered above average. But, you know, it's really it, the big question mark is, it's kind of funny. I've heard two different things. The scouts that I spoke to said that he relied on his fastball 90% of the time. Yet when you hear the, the Cubs um, uh, director, the VP of, of, of uh, scouting, Dan Kantrovich, Kantrovich says that on the he's completely contradicts that. He says he wasn't somebody just coming in pitching with two pitches for two innings. He was throwing complete games and showing off four pitches. And I'm like, we, it's so weird. And he says it went above beyond your typical two-pitch high school pitcher. And the scouts that I spoke to literally called him a guy that basically relied on his fastball the whole time because he throws hard and he's a lefty and he's a big guy. And so I found that pretty interesting that the Cubs spin on that was very different than what the scouts that I spoke to. Uh, but either way, this kid has the potential to be also another dude in the rotation that can develop and he's got a good projectable body and he's, he's got, you know, lefties are always, you know, I mean, God, if you could tie your child's arm behind his back and make him a left-hander, as long as it's not torture, I think it's a pretty good investment. So 
What did you think? Of, oh, he's oh, Greg's back there. Uh, Greg, what did you think of the? Oh, what did you think of the Ferris pickup in conjunction with the Cade Horton, where it almost kind of averages together? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I think I saw Brett Taylor on Twitter compare what the Cubs did at one and two with like trading back in an NFL or NBA draft. And I, I really dig that comparison where it's like uh, the MLB draft is not just selecting the top, like ranking the top prospects in order. You know what I mean? Um, and so by, by giving a lower slot bonus to, to Cade Horton at number one and then Jackson Ferris signing him above slot, basically you're trading back to get two picks in the like 1920. Like those, that's where those guys were ranked in the, in the, the pre-draft rankings on MLB pipeline. So you're getting like a couple mid to late round picks in the first round, as opposed to an early first round and a late or in, and like a, a later pick at 47, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's then. And, and you get a guy that could be it. So that's, so the Cubs went the first two rounds, they went pitching and this, you know, kind of, a, we, we joked about it, but uh, the, uh, the Cubs draft kind of with 16 pitchers. It, it felt like Tommy boy when he was like, when he, when he snuck on the airplane as stewardess stewards and they're like, what's for dinner tonight? Chicken or chicken? What, you know, what do we draft the next pitcher or pitcher? Let's go. But one of the rare early picks was, uh, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm going to say his name, right. But Chris Patiola from Temecula high school, Temecula Valley high school in California. Uh, I was actually just in Temecula like three weeks ago. It's kind of funny. He popped up, but he was at 166th ranked prospect, but he was taking 86th overall. A lot of Nick Madrigal comps um, without the speed, though. He's a great contact guy. Uh, he was viewed as fifth or sixth round talent, but he runs a 7-1 plus 60 times. So he's a shortstop that probably projects either as a third baseman or a corner outfield. Um, he was the fourth-ranked shortstop in California going to UCLA if he doesn't sign. But basically, he's Nick Madrigal with less speed and a bigger frame, which means he has more projectable, obviously, power. And this, again, seems like it was a value move to kind of save on more slot to pay the fourth round pick, which we'll get to in a second. But what'd you think of the, the patchula? I, I, someone told me that he pro- had a power projection, but I only see contact projections from what I read. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm actually, I'm actually surprised to hear the, the Nick magical thing uh, because I, I think that he's got a lot more power in his frame and, and, and in his swing. Um, I, I think that he's a contact guy first, although I've, I've seen reports that the contact um, is not where it was originally scouted as, uh, but I think the contact is there. Uh, but he's, he's a third baseman. Like you said, he, he's a third baseman. He, he was drafted as, I, I mean, he may be a shortstop now, but he's going to be a third baseman long-term. Uh, I see a lot of like James Triantos in him to a certain degree. James Triantos, I think was a, is a uh, much better prospect. I'm much higher on James Triantos. And I think that like where he was drafted is indicative of his prospect status. But I think that it's the same general vibe I'm looking at with Paciola as I am with, with uh, uh, James Triantos. So, I think with with uh, this year's pick, though, you're looking, you're you're more hopeful as a higher, again, again, higher ceiling, maybe a lower floor than what you have with James Trout. James Trout is a very original, like a very weird pick in terms of a high school guy that has really a pretty high floor. Now, you don't mm-hmm. see that very often, but um, yeah, I, I compare him more to to a guy like James Trout so than Nick Madrigal because I, I do see that power playing especially given his bigger frame like he's a 6'2 6'3 guy uh, i think that he's gonna fill out play some third base hit for some power very good very cool 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 and then so obviously i was a big fan of the ferris my favorite pick in this entire draft was the fourth round pick for the cubs which is najir mule najir mule at a passaic county technical institute in new jersey he was the number one ranked player in new jersey which isn't saying much i mean i think <laughs> anthony soprano was ranked fourth but um he's a two-way player he's a, an actual 6'3 210 but he's a pitcher that can throw 100. He can touch up there, but he's usually a mid-90 with a solid slider and changeup. 
but he's also a shortstop. Uh, or was it a shortstop? But he DH this yeah. year. Most of his senior season. God, I love this. is This is where I criticize the Oklahoma coaches for what they did with Kate Horton and had him play. This kid, they sat him as a DH. He basically just hit, swung it, and pitched. All season hit 427, eight homers, 22 extra base hits. He's a guy that could very well be, at least in the age of Shohei Otani, at least someone that's going to get a, at least a look as a possible two-way player. Now, this is what Dan Kantrovich said. He said, he's a pretty dynamic talent. I don't think anybody would be averse to being open-minded on some kind of two-way role either. And this is why I love this pick, obviously. This was a pick I think that Pacciola was taken because now you can pay Mule a little bit more because he is a kid that you're trying to convince to not go to University of Miami, which yeah. is a very solid baseball school, at least, you know, for a lot, uh, you know, that's a pretty, pretty good move there. So for you, what do you think about the Najer Mule? Do you think that there's a chance that this guy could be a two-way player? And, and or is it, I mean, is it, he's got a great, he reminds me of a kid I coached named Trevor Jackson. He's tall, lanky, 6'3", and he's got that, his delivery looks so effortless too. So like, what were your thoughts on this one? Because this was such a great pick, I thought. Uh, dude, I love the, I love the, have you seen like the interviews with him? Like he's just, the confidence is off the charts with him. Uh, a great like, too. To the yeah, point where it's, like, it's not really like 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 cocky, you know. It's just like he like he he knows he's good. Um, I I would love to see him keep working as a two way guy. Uh, I think he'll be a pitcher a pitcher long term. I, I, I the the swing is the, the swing needs quite a bit of work, but like that that's that's not that's nothing new in drafting high school bats, you know. Uh, but obviously, I, I think he's an, when you when you're a guy that touches a hundred on the gun, um, and with the body that he has, I think he's a pitcher long-term. He may get some at-bats and stuff like that, but I don't think that he's a Shohei guy where, like, he's going to be playing as much hitting. I don't think he's going to be getting 500 at-bats and mm. also logging 180 innings on the mound. Like, I, I think he eventually gets converted, and probably not too long from now, uh, into being a pitcher only. But, dude, like, if that happens, like, it's not like, oh, well, crap. Like, we don't, we, we don't get this guy that's a two-way player. Like, he's still – chucking 100 on the gun like that's that's stupid so uh yeah I, I think the upside i think that might be the highest upside pick of anybody in this entire draft really i think it gives some options too and i think you're right it's very difficult to come up especially as a minor leaguer that's a lot to ask of any baseball player to work on two very dynamically different crafts i mean mm-hmm. as a hitter mm-hmm. your focus has to be specifically on getting better in the, in, in the cage on the bump you're you it's a whole different mindset it's a whole different body wear and tear and so it's very difficult to even even attempt that. I mean, there's been a few, I think Brooks Kieschnick for the Cubs back in like the nineties, I think tried it for a second. Um, I want to say there was a kid from Houston that actually came out of Vegas. His name was Jordan Perez. They drafted him as a player is what they actually said. Drafted as player because he was a center fielder that hit 500 and hit 15 taters, but he's also threw a hundred on the bump. And so he ended up becoming a pitcher uh, eventually over time. It was just too hard. Uh, Regardless, and- you love the fallback. Like you said, though, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that fallback option, if, okay, like I'm, I'm gonna, I can't pitch anymore. Let me fall back on the ability to have plus plus like exit velo numbers from a high school kid. You know, yeah. like okay, that sounds yeah. good to me. <laughs> <laughs> take it, we'll take it. Yeah, and so we're not gonna go through through all of it too much. Like I obviously it would take for we'd be here for all night if we went through each one. But I did want to kind of touch on the fifth round pick, Brandon Birdsell from Texas Tech. This is another one of my favorite picks in the draft of of my three favorites. Uh, actually, my four favorites. Birdsell was in there too. He's from Texas Tech, big ratty senior. Knew he was going to sign because he done. Um, pretty good hard fastball. Can touch ninety nine if he humps up. He's a big hoss at six two two forty slider. Upper velocity changeup. Um, he's a really really well liked in the clubhouse. Um, one of uh, the scouts that I talked to, he's actually the region one of the regional scouts down in Texas, and so he got to see Texas Tech a ton over the last couple of years. So he's seen Birdsell a bunch, and his words said. 
he knows me enough. He's like, I, he said, I personally am going to love bird cell with how he carries himself on the mound and in the clubhouse that sells me right there, because that means he's going to be a guy that goes out of the bump and he's going to shove, he's going to yeah. shove it. He's going to, here's, here it comes. And I'm going to throw it through you. And that those are the kind of guys that I like. So it sounds like he's, he was a, he's a, he's another, again, I get big, strong, high upside potential, hard throwing side. I mean, I, again, I think that I think in the, the bottom 10 rounds, the last 10 rounds of the Cubs, I think all but three of those draft picks were six, two or taller, or six, three or taller. A bunch of huge dudes, huge guys. Yeah. And, and with bird cell too, like if, if you, if you would have told me before the draft that, that we'd be able to get a uh, power conference pitcher of the year, in the fifth round, I would have taken that in a heartbeat, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think you're right with the upside with Birdsell. Uh, his, his windup and his delivery is super interesting where he has a little like hitch. Like he brings his, after, after bringing his knee up, he brings it back. To, it, it's, it, it's, it's not like exactly like what Kershaw does, but the idea of what Kershaw does where he brings his knee up and then back down, basically touching the ground. Birdsell does something pretty similar to that. Um, and I think it throws off, throws batters off quite a bit. It, he he did that so he could simplify his his delivery coming off injuries. So mm-hmm. um, again, the injuries like the injuries are present with some of these guys, but it's that high risk high reward. And again, Dan Kantrovitz and, and Carter Hawkins uh, have been known and are, are have been really really good at drafting pitchers and mm-hmm. developing them into major league players. And so I, I at this point, you just got to put your faith in them to a certain degree, you know. And the two times that they he's done this in the past when he was with the Cardinals, Kantrovich. He it was uh, what Waka and and Flaherty I think Flaherty. Yeah. part of what came through through that so that's not a bad little uh, you know if if that you don't want a whole draft to net just one player but that's a good start um, yeah. so with that uh, you know there are a couple things you know a couple of other players you know the sixth round the Cubs took Will Frisch out of Oregon State he got, he didn't even pitch in 2022 had Tommy John but he was a collegiate All American uh, his freshman year um, Nick Hole this was a weird pick in the seventh round they took Nick Hole a graduate senior. At a yeah. GCU, Grand Canyon University, uh, where actually I almost went. <laughs> and he signed for $25,000 despite his slot being two hundred thirty-seven five. So he signed for like... It's like the the uh, Riley Martin pick from last year. Uh, <laughs> Riley Martin was picked in the sixth round, I believe, last year uh, at a Quincy University, which is a D2 school uh, here in Illinois. Uh, and he signed for $1,000. $1, so... Uh, <laughs> It's the slot system. The slot system, man, is is a very interesting concept and one that I would be totally fine with them getting rid of, to be clear honest with you. (laughs) Yep. yep. So they took him the fun pick in the eighth round. The Cubs threw a big old middle finger to Cardinal fans and drafted Mace McGuire out of Capistrano Valley. Another big right hander, son of one Mark McGuire, Big Mac. So former St. Louis Cardinal, big old FU, tall, lanky kid, throws low 90s, has a very good splitter from what I'm told. Six three frame. Uh, and we've seen what his dad's body can do with the right cocktails. So maybe uh, <laughs> <Rough>. <laughs> he's, a, he's commit to, he committed to Oklahoma, which is uh, his brother plays there already. But that was kind of an interesting pick. Uh, and then we get to the ninth round. This one was an interesting pick was the the Nolan kid from Arkansas, Connor Nolan, right-hand pitcher. Started 19 games this year. Another kid that his postseason performances completely upped his draft status and, and drew him into a top 10 pick. He had some huge starts for Arkansas that got him into the College World Series uh, in the first place uh, in the postseason. So another really good good player there. But the McCullough kid from Wingate, a D two school. He was a you know nine and one, so he's a really big guy there. Held his own in the Cape. Big guy, low nineties fastball. The only one that really was weird to me in this one was the Brandon Noriega kid because he had no affiliation whatsoever. And I'm firmly under the belief that he it was his TikTok page that got him his first look. 
And then he got invited to play with the West Virginia Black Bears in the draft league this summer because of his TikTok and then down the line. But uh, that was a weird one. Um, got the kid from Ivy Tech, Matt Peters. You got uh, that's why that's my favorite pick of the entire not not favorite pick in terms. Of, it's just it's the most fun pick of the entire draft. It's one hundred three. Is, is, is Matt Peters? Oh, yeah. I mean, and his his story is like, I mean, I, it, it's like something I've never heard before. I mean, he was cut from his team from his high school team as a junior. Didn't make the team. Made the team as a senior, but he was what five? He was he he grown nine inches between now, like since his senior year of high school and now. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, he's, I think he said in an interview, he's, he was like right around 80 miles an hour when he was at, uh, Bishop Dwanger in Fort Wayne and, uh, basically didn't ever play his senior year of high school. Like did not play baseball. Like he was on the team, but he, he never played. Uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he hit a growth spurt. Uh, now he's sitting there at six foot four, six foot three, whatever he is, uh, pumping one Oh, like hitting one Oh three on the gun. Uh, and he's playing at Ivy tech and Ivy tech is a school that is, uh, they've never had a draft pick ever. Uh, I, Ivy Tech is a very, like, it, it, it's a very weird situation because they have campuses all across, all across the entire state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was like at like the, the, the Fort Wayne campus. And when he was there, like they, they, they've since like this year, they voted to not have like the, the, the university voted to not have a baseball team starting next year. So this was their last year of having a baseball team. Uh, and he was obviously their only draft pick in school history. So uh, Matt Peters is definitely my like fun pick of the entire draft. And we'll see what I mean. Obviously, he's gonna be worked out of the bullpen. Uh, he's that a bullpen guy like for sure. But still, crazy, crazy, crazy story. I love that. That's all. That makes me happy. That makes me now. He just went up like he just skyrocketed on my little list of please, please, please pan out. Guys, to root for man. Yeah. That Dennis Rodman growth spurt always works. Um, <laughs> Now you got 13th round, Luis Rujano, uh, Sunshine State Elite Academy, uh, another, again, righty. Uh, the, the 14th round one was pretty interesting, actually. The White Sox took the actual Georgia catcher, but the Cubs took in the 14th round Shane Marshall, who was their backup catcher um, at Georgia, but throws 96 and started dabbling around with a gyro slider. And, and he threw a third of an inning in 2022 for his team. But the Cubs saw something that they liked, and they're happy to convert this guy into – a pitcher. Now, I'll tell you this. I like this for another reason because catchers are leaders. More than likely, this guy's going to be a leader wherever he goes because he's been a catcher his entire career. He's going to go in the clubhouse, and even if he's a pitcher, he's going to be able to – those type of guys you just want around your players, even in your farm system, wherever he goes, whatever happens with him. He's like a Crash Davis kind of mindset where you have a guy that's just a veteran or a catcher that just – they just think differently. That's just what makes a catcher a catcher. They're they're different, so I like that and, one a lot. And like elite – uh, fastball shape apparently for uh, Shane Marshall. So uh, may not have had a whole lot of innings on the mat. I think it was a, a total in college at Georgia. I think it was an inning and two thirds. Yep. Uh, and so it, it's another Jarek Suter situation that the Cubs had a couple of years back. But obviously, this have mo- much more time to develop Shane Marshall into a, a good pitcher. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's, the Cubs took so many pitchers in this draft. The the, the ball boy and the bat boy are going to have to start working and doing both yeah. too. I mean, even the catchers are pitchers, yeah. You get a pitcher. You get a pitcher. Everyone gets a pitcher. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, in the fifteenth round, now this is one again. This was one of my top four favorite picks, um, and it's probably because I'm a little biased. Uh, Hayden McGreary out of Colorado Mesa University, a big monster of a catcher. Um, he actually was my my one of my players that I coached uh, went to uh, Colorado Mesa as well. So he was Frankie Fitzgerald's catcher. Um, Frankie actually uh, was super stoked and and Stokes um, stoked. Uh, and so when when I asked him what was his thoughts, I said. Uh, 
you know, what do you think? And he said, dude is a gamer. Best hitter I've ever seen, plus pretty athletic for the size. Balanced hitter that can put the ball 450. Great pickup. Now, I'm going to say this, and this is something that Zoe will laugh at. Frankie, if it's the best hitter he's ever seen, Frankie, multiple times in high school, pitched against Drew uh, with, uh, Bryson Stott. Uh, so if that's the best hitter he ever saw, I'm, yeah. it, it, that's, that's a tell for me. So that's a big one. Uh, I know it's, we don't have. We're, okay, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. It, it, it's comical numbers. I mean, like, go, like, go look at, go look at Hayden McGarry's like numbers at Colorado, Colorado Mesa. Like, absurd, ridiculous. Numbers. I mean, he. I, I'm trying to find the the RBI total that he had during his time there. He, he played 163 games. I remember, um, 163 games, basically the equivalent of, I mean, a major league season 162 had 243 RBIs. Now, I'm not an RBI guy. I'm not like out here shouting about guys getting like, oh, you're better if you have a whole, whole bunch of RBIs. But if you put up two, four, 243 RBIs, like you're up to something. Like you got something going there. That it just absurd, crazy numbers. Uh, 75 home runs in those 163 games. Just like crazy, crazy numbers. He was a recruit. Uh, he was going to use his his extra year of eligibility to go play at Kentucky. So uh, obviously big time recruit in the transfer portal. Uh, hmm. I think it was a pretty good pickup for the Cubs to, to sign him away from that Kentucky commitment. And so lastly, we'll wrap it up here with this and then we'll talk about some trade stuff too and how this all is now going to affect the Cubs farm system and how the trades are going to happen. We got, you know, we got about seven or eight minutes. Um, Andy Gariola, Old Dominion. You know, you got another guy, Garrett Brown from Georgia. You got Brock Ladder from Billing Central. And then you got, you finished with the shortest kid that the, that the, that the Cubs drafted, Keyshawn Collier out of Meridian, Mississippi. And so um, with the Cubs draft now, that's kind of the, the push is next. You know, the farm system now is going to have to reshuffle down, guys. You know, we I'm not sure how these guys will will settle in as far as inside the Cubs farm system itself. But with all these moves and the Cubs picking up all these arms, now we hit this trade deadline. And we've obviously seen Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ's name out there, Robertson's name out there. Um, seeing, you know, the, the Cubs are obviously sellers one more time. Where now, what do you see coming up with the trade deadline for the Cubs? Do you see with, with everything the Cubs have in the farm system, which they've spent, you know, the last couple of seasons really kind of, or about well, a year, probably a year and a half, really, really restocking, starting with the U Darvis sale. Where do you see all this filling in? Where do you see this year's trade deadline for the Cubs? And what do you think they're going to be gunning for as far as types of talent? Yeah, I, I think that my favorite part about how they're rebuilding this farm system is it's completely different than what it was last time when they were building for that 2016 World Series. When they were building for the 2016 World Series, Every single top prospect they had, every single prospect that came up to the major league level was coming up basically between that like 20, basically 2015, you know, 2014 into 2014, all of 2015, part of 2016 with Wilson Contreras, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that is not building a team for sustainable success. That is not how the, the Los Angeles Dodgers build their, their, their organization. You know, what they're doing right now is they're building a organization that a system that is set up that every year for the next few years you're going to see a couple impact players come up to the big leagues we've seen chris morrell and nelson velasquez come up this year uh we saw justin Steele, keegan thompson make an impact last year next year we're going to see brennan davis we're going to see uh some of these pitchers jordan wicks we're going to see dj hers and then you're going to get to the next wave of Pete armstrong and kevin alcantara and james triantos and guys like that and the way they're building the system to be successful for the long term is huge and so like i i only say that to bring it back to this trade deadline and saying that they can go after the best possible like prospect package for guys like wilson Contreras and david robertson and ian happen whoever you know they Mm -hmm. don't need to target 
guys that are almost major league ready. They don't need to target teenagers like they did with Kevin Alcantara and Ismail Mania and those guys for you, Darvish. They don't need to target a certain, I mean, it would be nice to have a little bit more catching depth in the system because the catching depth is, is a struggle. Um, mm. But as far as age and level of talent that you're acquiring in this trade deadline, I don't see any need one over the other. Um, and that's, that's a testament to the depth they've built, built in this system over the past, honestly, like, like you said, two years. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And that's exciting. I mean, so, I mean, I, do, should fans temper their expectations for this trade deadline? I, I, I see a lot of people like, oh, we're going to get like two top 100 prospects for Wilson Contreras, even though he's a rental. Like, I mean, what, what is the, what, what kind of expectation for that? What level of talent? Because it is, you're right. The Cubs don't have to no longer have to target a specific special specialty. They don't have to target arms. They don't have to target bats. Now they've got, age and you know they're age appropriate and bad appropriate and arm appropriate at this point where they can kind of just say what do you got um they're they're gonna they're gonna not get any top 100 prospects for Wilson Contreras and fans are gonna lose their freaking minds and I mean like here's the thing like last deadline they didn't get any top 100 any top 100 prospects last deadline like now they they have Kevin Alcantara flirting with that they got PCA they got different guys that are Caleb Killian has obviously made an impact He's mm-hmm. flirting with the back end of top 100 list. Just because you don't acquire a top 100 prospect does not mean that it was a bust. Like, please, please, please don't freak out because you, the trust that these, these, these front offices are putting in their scouting departments, look at a guy like Daniel Palencia acquired in the Andrew Chafin deal last year, right? That was a pure like scouting play. That was an entirely pure, pure scouting play because he hadn't played much in full season ball or stateside at all. Um, and he turned it out like everyone, everyone, everyone thought that was a Greg Dykeman trade for Andrew Chafin. It, it was a Daniel Palencia trade. Uh, and we could see Daniel Palencia flirting with the back end of, of top 100 lists here in the next year or so. So like I said, just don't like, don't freak out. Like don't freak out if we don't get top 100 guys. That doesn't mean they're garbage. I, pro- I promise it doesn't mean they're garbage. It means that the Cubs see something in them for the future. And it would be nice to get a guy that's already top 100. Like, yeah, of course I'd love to see the Cubs trade, uh, Wilson Contreras for the number 20 prospect in the, in, in major league baseball. But if it doesn't happen, it, don't freak out, I guess is the moral of the story. <laughs> and the, they have that, fl- that the luxury now of not feeling like they're hogtied into some sort of like strategy. They can just go yeah. after prospects that they project and they can use the development. Exactly. Um, now I, I do one last thing. I know cause I, we're getting close today. We got about a couple more minutes, but real quick, got to ask, is there a package that you think the Cubs could offer that could meet what Washington is asking for, for of course, it's it's the monumental question with Soto, with Juan Soto. Yeah, I mean, probably. I don't I don't know exactly what they'll end up wanting. I mean, I, I think that the the rumor going around is that it's like, okay, the Cardinals have the ideal package because they can put together talent like like prospecty type talent, like young talent starting the majors, Nolan Gorman, um, Matt Libertor, uh, Dylan Carlson, guys like that, but also top prospects like Jordan Walker and, and Mason Wynn, guys like that. Now. The Cubs can put together a package like that. Should they? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to get the the arguably the best player in Major League Baseball on my team. You know, uh, but yeah, they, they could absolutely put together. It would be uh, it would be painful to see Brennan Davis and Keegan Thompson and uh, Pete Crow Armstrong and Kevin Alcantara all go over in the same deal. Like that would that'd be rough. You know, like, I would not appreciate seeing that. Uh, but yeah, I mean that. It, just because of uh, even like a system that is not loaded up, like there are still guys that every team could probably make a, a trade to some degree for Juan Soto. It would just be painful to take. But 
uh, I mean, you, you put together Brennan Davis, Pete Crowder, and Kevin Alcantara, start with that, and then throw in a major league talent, Justin Steele or Keegan Thompson. That's a pretty good place to start if you're the Washington Nationals, you know? Mm-hmm. And one last question before we let you go. Who would be the prospect in the Cubs system that would hurt the worst to you if the Cubs trade? A guy that you're like, oh, man, I really would have loved to watch that guy just grow into fruition with the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Davis is my number one prospect in the system. Uh, but that will not be my answer to this question. Kevin Alcantara, if they if they would trade Kevin Alcantara, man, like, I, he is – he reminds me so much of Brennan Davis. Like, there's there's so much to like about Kevin Alcantara. I think the upside is absurd with him. I mean, you got a guy in Kevin Alcantara who's already showing off, like, light tower power in Myrtle Beach, which is an incredibly difficult ballpark to hit home runs in. He hit a grand slam today that, like, we didn't see it land. Like, it was absurd. Uh and he's, he's playing center field for the Pelicans right now. It's I'm seeing just so – it's reminding me so much of Brennan Davis. A little bit of Eloy Jimenez for the White Sox guys in there. Uh, a little bit of Eloy Jimenez, but I see more Brennan Davis in him. Uh, we'll see if he can how much he continues to build out his frame because he's, he's still a lanky kid. He's got power, and he's, he's still, like, super lanky and got some speed. So a young Eloy Jimenez, not like the Eloy Jimenez now, but like a young Eloy Jimenez when he was, like, with the South Bend Cubs. Um, that's what I'm seeing in Kevin Alcantara. I'd be devastated to see him go to trade. Well, Greg, uh, before you take off, let the people know where they can find you and your work. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me uh, on Twitter, on uh, at Out of the Vines on Twitter, and then I'm the co-founder of NorthSideBound.com. Uh, you can find me as a lead prospect writer over Cubs Insider and then host uh, co-host a podcast called the Growing Cubs Podcast. We're uh, Still going strong this year. Uh, I, that's my favorite thing that I do is, is host that Growing Cubs podcast. So please go check it out if you're interested in prospects at all. We get super nerdy with it. Uh, go deep into it. We're talking about the Kevin Alcantara's and PCAs of the world. But we're also talking about the guys that ultimately end up being like the Scott Efrosses of the Major League team. So uh, if you're into that sort of thing, go check out the Growing Cubs podcast. Well, thank you very much, Greg. We really appreciate your time. And uh, everybody go give him a follow there. I literally just did. And, um, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, We're going to take a a quick break here. We're going to do a sponsor, and then we're going to bring on Dan Victor. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. All right. Just a reminder, this show is brought to you by SportsMockery, SportsMockery.com. Make sure you download that app, put on push notifications, so when the White Sox do make a deal or do decide not to suck, uh, we will give you a push notification uh, at SportsMockery and SportsMockery.com. So that was the Cubs draft, very thoroughly covered, well put. Um, and now we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to bring on uh, Daniel Victor um, to the show. I'm going to wait till we bring him on here. Let me bring him on real quick. Real quick, while we're, while we're in a little segue, too, I do want to show you guys some quick video of the first-round draft pick of the Chicago White Sox um, actually running a uh, – just showing off his lightning quick speed. So let's go ahead and uh, yeah, I showcase. Knew I knew this is where you were going with this. I feel go so bad. Go ahead and showcase this for you guys real quick. I love you, Herb. I love you, Herb. And you're lucky. Basically, Herb wanted to show everybody he was faster than Yasmani Grandal because Yasmani Grandal is the slowest player from home to first in Major League Baseball right now. I said that I could beat Yasmani Grandal in a race. We've registered out 90 feet. You can see down there, Kenny Stevens, our our official timers. (laughs) I got to beat 477 to get to that green garbage can down there. I don't know if you guys can see it. Sean Anderson's behind the camera. Let's Are you ready? Do it. Number three. This is the one you want. Those are, oh, go here. Go here. Bam! Ooh, he did it. 
I knew it was going to happen. This is what happens. Right? <sighs> I am high was he fast? You okay? No, no, I'm good. Okay. So there we go. So let's watch that again. If there wasn't a sniper in that tower, I think he had him beat. Yeah, I think he had He's right there in the balcony. You see him right there? Yeah. Yep. He, he, yeah. He doesn't get his legs taken out. Oh, I mean, like, that, that was the one. Yep, back into the left. Ooh, yeah. Oh, Ooh, just got... yeah. <laughs> That's off the raspberry. So I figured we'd just break that down for, for her. But we love her, but boy. Well, well, Dan, I don't think you'll ever get another intro like that from any other show. Uh, <laughs> we're going to bring out to the show Dan Victor, uh, baseball scout school alum, MILB player advocate for the White Sox Insider, baseball writer at Daily White Sox. And uh, just a great Twitter follow for any White Sox fan out there. Uh, Dan, welcome to Pinwheels and Ivy, bud. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so, Dan, we just went through the Cubs draft, um, and, you know, we were talking, and we couldn't think of a better person to have on to discuss some of the things that the White Sox did on draft day. Uh, but also, Dan, we're going to get into it with you, bud, because we got a big trade deadline coming up, and no one knows this farm like you do. And I want to know who we can move, who we can't move, who you consider untouchable. You got Oscar Colas hitting his fifth home run in the last four games. Uh, that literally just happened. Um, but first and foremost, Dan, why don't you tell the people about yourself, your background a little bit, and we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised uh, in the Chicago <laughs> area, and uh, I came down to the Carolinas to do a job for Brandenburg Demolition. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. You might have seen the trucks running around the city. We actually did the uh, demolition at Wrigley Field when they did the renovations. Also cut the top four uh, uh, sections of the bowl off the, uh, the new Comiskey Park. So uh, we've done a lot of work in the city, but I ended up coming down to the Carolinas and uh, fell in love with the area, the region, the White Sox minor league baseball, and uh, decided to take another job down here and have a look back. And that's uh, what I do in my spare time, cover the, the three different White Sox affiliates that are within the hour and a half circle of my house. That's that's awesome. I'm, I'll tell people right now, if you want to see videos or insight on White Sox, don't follow the teams. Follow Dan. Thanks, man. You get you get the information like an hour before the team tweets it out. It's awesome. Um, all right, Dan. Well, we'll start with the draft. Um, first round, the White Sox go with Noah Schultz, uh, big pitcher uh, from the Chicagoland area. Uh, he, he throws from that three-quarter slot. Uh, what are your early thoughts on him? Well, I am not the draft guru. I collect my information from the guys that are the draft gurus. Um, at Prospects 1500, there's a guy named Sean Carnahan. He's kind of our draft guru. And I've also talked to four different White Sox scouts and another scout from a different organization to assess their opinions of the draft. Now, mind you, talking to a White Sox scout about the White Sox draft afterwards is kind of like talking to, you know, uh, the Democratic presumptive presidential nominee after the convention. Uh, there's a lot of hopium in the air. Everybody is really stoked. But I can tell you what, they are absolutely over the moon about the potential of Noah Schultz. Anything in particular? Uh, yes. They describe this kid as an absolute unicorn. Um, he's six foot nine, as you stated. He has incredible body control and the ability to. Uh, maintain his balance, stay on line uh, for being a big, skinny, six foot nine kid. You know, um, usually when you think six foot nine, 18 years old, you're thinking gangly, uh, you know, growing into uh, himself and, and 
you know, like a baby giraffe kind of thing. And he does not have those qualities from what I understand. Um, he was, they, they wanted me to make it abundantly clear that there was a gentleman by the name of Mark Sheehan that uh, trained um, Noah and helped build what we have right now in him. Uh, Mark Sheehan was a Tom House disciple. Tom House, of course, was the guy who fixed, you know, Randy Johnson. So yep. he, he has, uh, you know, the benefit of training with a Tom House disciple who fixed a guy and, and built a six foot ten ace. And uh, the way they describe this kid is just unbelievable. Um, I was told he has the potential to fully realize at his ceiling. They were talking about an eighty grade fastball, a seventy grade slider, a sixty grade changeup. You're saying all the right things. <laughs> and, uh, and mind you, this is coming from right. a professional scout. Right. Uh, they were just pumped. They said uh, the first start, they went out and saw him at the beginning of the, the season. He was 93 to 97. Um, he ended up getting mono and it derailed him. And when he came back, he wasn't throwing as hard. They said if he doesn't get mono, he's probably going to be a top five pick in the draft. Um, and what they really like, you know, they have a great future, uh, a great past with this kid, a great history. Uh, Justin Wexler and JJ Lally were his uh, coaches at the area code games. So they've been seeing this kid and uh, establishing ties and a relationship with him for the last two years. So they probably know him as good as anybody in all of professional baseball. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you always know a team. You always know a team is uh, really excited about a pick when they get him signed right away. It looks like uh, he signed for 2.8, so just over slot for his position. Uh, so I love seeing that. I love seeing them getting him ready to go. Uh, I have another prospect, another draft pick that I specifically want to talk about. Mitch, do you got another one that you want to bring up? Go ahead with yours first. Okay, so he's a 16th rounder. I remember this. I, I love watching college baseball. And I remember this dude, when they drafted him, I was like, I remember this guy's name. I looked him up right away. He is that guy. He was a pitcher. His name's Tristan Stevers, Stivers. And in the College World Series, he closed the game against Texas, and he threw the horns down to the Texas uh, dugout and went absolutely nuts. This guy looks like an absolute psychopath. He's got a blonde mu uh, mustache and a blonde mullet. Uh, have you heard anything about him, Dan? I have. As a matter of fact, I have talked to him since the draft. Um, I and love it. one of the things I talked to him about, I had to comment on was that sweet stash and that quote <laughs> he's got, because that is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, it... But Tristan Stivers, um, what's cool about him, uh, his signing scout was uh, Mr. Wilt. Uh, Mr. Wilt was his signing uh, scout. His first name is escaping me. I'm sure I have it in my notes. But he also had a history with uh, – John Kazanis, who was, uh, I call him the Southpaw Whisperer. John has been a scout since the late 80s. You know, he's been in baseball uh, as a scout for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was the guy who was responsible for uh, signing uh, Mark Burley. You know, we might have oh, heard of Mark, Mark yeah. Burley. And uh, he got Burley in, what, the 36th round. Uh, he also drafted Avery Weems, who, uh, you know, Avery Weems is a left-hander that John had – strong feelings about even though he had an era of over seven in college but uh he drafted him and he ended up being you know 
a component that we flipped to Texas to get, um, you know, with Dane Dunning to get Lance Lynn. So uh, I think of John as a guru when it comes to left-handed pitchers. And that's uh, quite the pedigree. <laughs> and, uh, so, but I'm uh, sorry, we, we were talking about Stivers. Um, yep, I have some notes on him as well. Um, but yeah, he is. Uh, he gets a little bit pumped for sure. <laughs> We like that in our closers on the south side, though. Yes. Uh, Tyler Wilt was his scout. Um, he was a, a New Mexico Juco kid. He didn't have great success. He had a, a high walks, pedal. He had trouble repeating in the zone, but he made changes at Texas State that were great for him. Um, John said a lot of credit goes to him. You know, He said it's much easier to fold the tent and give up than it is to work your ass off to get better. Um, he said Tyler Wilt really wanted this kid throughout the draft. Uh, he was pounding the table that we had to find a way to select him, and they ended up getting him in the 16th round. Um, I was told he has no fear. He's going to go as hard as he can to beat you, and he's going to find a way to beat you most of the time. Very wired, very intense, as you said, and he was the top closer in, in the NCAA. But uh, he's not your typical power closer. He does have arm strength, but the breaking pitches make his uh, pitch mix very successful. You know, anytime a pitcher can command – Several pitches, the hitter is always at a disadvantage when you can mix it up because you can't sit on the one pitch. But that, those were my notes on Stigers. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off the draft, Dan. I'm sorry. I, I appreciate the draft. I know it's a very vital part. But where this White Sox team is right now, I need to talk about the farm system because we got a really important date coming up here. And I know you're very – plugged in down there and there's the obvious names the Cespedes um Fizz's boy Montgomery uh Colas all these guys as the trade deadline approaches who's untouchable to you well remember that in addition to you know tweeting and writing about the White Sox minor leaguers I also end up knowing them we're a booster uh host family for the Canapolis Cannonballers so we get to know all these kids on like a personal level and they're like a, you're like asking me to trade away my children. And oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I would have a tough time parting with anybody, but um, I mean, obviously there are trade pieces, and, and baseball is a business. But uh, I would certainly not want to part with uh, Colson Montgomery. Yeah, and I also, I saw some rumblings today about uh, Norhe Vera kicking the tires yeah. on trading Norhe Vera and. I also wouldn't want to part with him. Yeah, his, about his, his name's come up a lot. So uh, speaking of Kannapolis, this is a guy that I was really excited about when they drafted last year. Jared Kelly, they had him in the second round. A lot of people projected him as first-round pick. Uh, he had his struggles a bit last year. There were some reports about like some conditioning issues. I'm just curious about how he's developing so far this year. Um, and, you know, if you, you think he's going to turn it around at all this season. Uh, he's having a lot better season this year. He started uh, he started the year with a, a pitch count, and they weren't letting him get very deep. But he's getting a, they gradually increased his workload. Uh, he has arm strength, and he throws very hard. He can bring it up to. He's consistent, putting up a lot of ninety sixes. I've seen him touch ninety eight. Um, he also has a good changeup and a developing slider. He not missing a whole lot of the bats or a whole lot of bats this year. If you look at the K rate, it's not exceptional. Um, 
but he is definitely making strides. I think the big thing for him is uh, when he's offline, he tends to miss east and west, and uh, it kills him. That's when he gets a high pitch count, and that's when he starts walking guys. But uh, if he stays online, he seems to be in the zone, and uh, I think he's improving dramatically. I think he definitely looks like a major leaguer this year, and last year he looked like, uh-oh, is this kid going to make it? Is he going to bust? But he looks, he looks good. Uh, now, there was some early rumblings about uh, Oscar Colas and his early adaptation to playing ball stateside. Um, some people were questioning his you know, levels of dedication. It seems like since his call-up to double-A, I don't know if he's just healthy or where he's at, but – uh, he's hitting the cover off the ball. And um, I don't know, what have you seen? I know I'm, I trust the guy who sees it with his own eyes. So what have you seen with Oscar Colas, and what can you tell him about him? The funny thing is every time I've gone to see him, he has not played. I've <laughs> never gotten a live look at him. I've, I've talked to some of his teammates about him, and they say that you know he's very good and that he's definitely a big leader. But I've never personally seen him on the field. I've only watched him on MILB TV like everyone yeah. else. Uh, what about uh, Mr. Sosa down there? I love Lenin Sosa. He is – Everybody does. He's terrific. You know, when he came to Kannapolis, he, statistically he didn't have the best year hitting, uh, but he was, he's really sound defensively. Um, and it's not because he has incredible range. He's not, like, overly quick, but he's so fundamentally sound that um, he uses – the minimal amount of effort to make the plays. He's in the right spot. He has great footwork. His arm strength isn't going to set the world. He's not going to do like the kid in the futures game and throw one 100 miles an hour across the diamond. But um, his fundamentals are so good that he can stick at shortstop in spite of the, despite the limitations that he has athletically or twitchy. But uh, the bat has really come around this year. Um, hitting with power. To all fields, he looks great. Yeah. Mitch, you got a, a prospect or anybody you're looking at more information about? Uh, Wes Cap is another guy that I, I think is kind of intriguing. Um, I don't know if you had any like info on him, but I think he's a guy that kind of flies into the radar for like White Sox prospects. And I think sneakily be kind of a stud at the corner uh, infield. Uh, Wes was that's a John Kazanis uh, signee, he was an Arizona high school kid. Uh, John had a long history with watching him, loves the family, says, you know, he was brought up very well, uh, good makeup, uh, left-handed hitter and third baseman. Um, John gave him uh, Michael Brantley comps with the bat. So he's oh. going gonna to end up uh, developing some power. The swing looks a little bit long. Um, he's probably going to have to shorten it up a little bit and get to the ball, a be a little bit more direct and quicker. But – his results have been mixed this year. I've seen him put some charges into some baseballs, and then I've seen him, you know, look puzzled. And that's the problem when you draft high school kids. Um, these kids are used to being the big man on campus. They're used to dominating every step of the way. And then you put them in, you know, a, against a bunch of SEC pitchers that are throwing 95, 96, and they've never seen this kind of velo with regularity or this kind of sharp breaking stuff and it's like holy cow they seem overmatched it's easy for them to get buried and uh you know he's he's growing growing through that process right now defensively i've seen him 
look like an all-star one day and look like a high school kid the next day, uh, you know, booting an easy ball or losing a fly ball in the sun and, you know, having it land five feet behind him. And then next thing you know, he's going to his uh, backhand side, you know, on the past the foul, uh, foul line and turning a, on a diamond, making a throw across the diamond. And you're like, wow. So I know it's there. Just a matter of refining it all. All right, Dan. This is going to be a tough one now. Who's the prospect people should be talking about that they aren't? I know you, you're on Twitter. I know you see all this and everything. But I also know you're watching these games. You're visiting all these fields and everything. Who's flying under the radar right now that should, we should be paying attention to? I'm a big fan of the catcher that they have at uh, High A. Um, his name's uh, Adam Hackenberg. Now, okay. this kid has genetics like you would not believe. His brother was the uh, was Christian Hackenberg, the Penn State quarterback, mm-hmm. that was drafted by the Jets. Um, his other brother plays uh, professional soccer, and a third brother was an unbelievably good freshman collegiate pitcher. His dad was a college football player. His mother was a college volleyball player. His uncle played football at West Point. The kid has athletic genetics that are through the roof. Um, Unbelievably sound defensive catcher. He played college ball at Clemson. He shows he shows big time power when he gets into it. But uh, statistics right now are nothing that set the world on fire. But I think that he could be a a big league catcher for ten years one day. Oh, that's I'm gonna hand up. I've never heard of him. So you you got me there, Dan. <laughs> and I mean right now. You said catcher, and my, my gut reflex was, because the White Sox are carrying three right now. But, hey, if he's really – I mean, it sounds like he hit the genetic lottery, so I'd be happy to have a kid like that up eventually. I mean, Yaz isn't getting any younger. But uh, hmm. Another guy that they don't talk about nearly enough is Carlos Perez. Uh, Carlos, home run. Carlos Perez is another catcher. Um, you know, he's reached AAA. He's with the Knights now. He's really starting to show power, and he's never had any issue whatsoever uh, with swing and miss, and he's always been a very good defensive catcher uh, and a smart player. He also has some genetics. Uh, His brother played in the big leagues for the Rockies, and he's currently uh, still floating around in uh, AAA somewhere. But I think his brother might have led the organization in home runs with 30-plus in the Rockies – couple years back so but carlos perez is another interesting player what do you think about that tanner mcdougall guy <laughs> sorry well, I, just, I have to see him pitch i know that's your guy but i i haven't seen him pitch you know he had the, he had his tj surgery right after uh the draft uh, when he pitched a couple innings in the in rookie ball and then uh, got shut down before he ever made it to canapolis i'm really looking forward to seeing him though i've talked to uh i talked to coach witt down there at, uh by you guys about him and he had me pumped and I was ready to ready to run out and buy season tickets. Yeah, he'll be there in a sec. He's ramping he's starting to ramp it up now too. He's starting to get a little bit you can tell he's getting uh he's getting there because he gets a little bit more feisty with his texts too. They start they start having a little bit more he starts making that mental transition over because he's he's a great kid too. So I mean obviously he's he's a long he's a, he's a pretty decent ways away. But what about what do you what are your thoughts on the, the calf kid? Like like I mean, I was just not not necessarily like full on, but like how how quickly is he a twenty twenty five guy or is he a twenty twenty four guy? Because I've had, had one guy tell me that he really does believe that is going to be ready sooner than later, and that's a good left handed bat. I'm sorry, you were breaking up on me. 
Oh, Kath, uh, Wes, is he closer than 2025? No. No. Okay. He's just like no. a big no. boy. He's a good boy. Um, going back to the draft, Dan, and I know we kind of skipped over it. Was there a pick that really stood out to you? I really love the top three picks. Um, Peyton, Peyton Paulette. I was, you know, Baseball America had him in January. They had him ranked as the number one, number two pitcher in the draft class. And the Sox got him in the second round. Mm -hmm. Um, They're big on him. He's right, right now he's out with TJ surgery. Um, He's in his recovery from TJ, um, which obviously knocked him down draft boards. But this kid, undersized righty, he's got that Roy Oswalt like build. Hopefully he can be Roy Oswalt. That would be ideal. That would work. But uh, electric fastball, good breaking ball with the metrics to match. They say his curveball is ultra high spin. Um, he shows a feel for the change, but his scout told me that further refinement of that pitch uh, will be one of the keys to unlocking his uh, his ceiling. You know, because usually even the most ballyhooed starters that are, you know, high draft picks, if they come out with two pitches to the big leagues, they can usually survive and thrive for a while, but usually you need a third pitch to maintain, you know, all-star level success or you become a bullpen guy and that doesn't mean he can't be a great bullpen guy either um but uh he was a force for arkansas since he arrived on campus came into the season one of the top college arms that injury caused you know him to tumble down the boards but uh they say his fastball has good carry up in the zone i've watched some videos it, it looks explosive um and his tight spin breaker that curve is a filthy pitch um he won't pitch until spring training next year, ideally, um, because that's about where he's at in his uh, recovery from TJ. And he's supposedly very fiery um, on the mound as well. They like said he's a fiery character, and he uh, they call him a Ferrari. So um, <laughs> I like that. I, I did notice it pretty interesting. The signing bonus slot with the, the you know obviously everyone's playing their shenanigans with like how to allocate what, you know, underpay a guy here, pay over here. Um, are the White Sox gearing up to pay Peyton Pallet and Jonathan Cannon? Because I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at their top 11. You got one guy, uh, Michael Turner signs for 35K under 100, and his spot was 160. You got uh, the Camaletti kid signs for 20K, and his 171. Um, 150K from McLaughlin, McLaughlin, but he was supposed to be rule five. 200K, you know, you can go to list. The Sox have been under slot almost on every pick. Does that tell – do you think that means that they're really – they're, they're going to pay Pallet and Cannon? Because, I mean, what's you're not really saving any money here. you got, you got to use it. Yes. Uh, well, remember the Sox came into the draft with the third lowest bonus pool. Um, and they also had an organizational need for uh, pitching depth. Mm-hmm. Most of the minor league pitching depth uh, for the White Sox currently – are the high-profile, you know, high school guys like McDougal, Kelly, Thompson, Dahlquist. Those guys are all at the lower levels. So they needed some polished college arms that they can, you know, move quickly to double A and then start thinking about them as, you know, back-end starters, uh, relievers, swingmen, and able to get on the, you know, on the plane from Charlotte to Chicago because uh, it's – it's pretty rough if somebody gets hurt right now. There's not a whole lot going on. I mean, <laughs> Joe Kelly. <laughs> we, got, we got Davis Martin. Um, he had a, some really good starts. Um, he did. And we got uh, Jimmy Lambert, 
who I think is a kind of a tweener between a long bullpen guy and a and a starter. He's solid as well. But they put him in some high leverage situations too. Like he, yeah. he makes a couple eighth inning appearances. He's actually done a really good job this year. He's an underrated guy. His stuff is good. Um, but they didn't, you know, he didn't get a lot of pub coming through the ranks. He, he well, was- I know a couple of years ago, Dallas Keuchel said at spring training, like this guy's probably my favorite pitcher in the organization right now. He's got some of the best stuff. Now, obviously, you know, Sox fans have their opinions about Dallas Keuchel, but that, I mean, when they first signed him, that, that kind of jumped off the page. And I always kept a close eye on Jimmy because of that. Somebody, yeah. block, somebody block his text messages, please. Somebody block his text messages. <laughs> um, but I mean, for a while, Charlotte was functioning with basically one starter. Um, when when Davis Martin got called up and Jimmy Lambert was called up, they had they had one starter going at, and every game was a bullpen game. And you know they were hiring or uh, signing guys that were you know kind of retreads and trying to get them to to hang in. It, it was pretty rough, and they need guys that can fly through the ranks. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm diluting your question, Kev, but uh, yes, because of those, because they went out and got. Almost all college, you know, uh, seniors and uh, fourth-year juniors and whatnot, those guys didn't have a lot of leverage, and that is absolutely, I'm sure, to uh, prepare to sign their one, two, and three guys. And uh, Cannon's also another one. I was told that, you know, they had grade one. Uh, they had him as a first-rounder. I'd like to see that. So, <laughs> um, so they, they basically told me, you know, that, they thought that they got three first rounders with their first three picks. I, you know, and that's a, you know, that's a, I mean, if you, if you have your plan, I mean, there's, I, I've said it on here. I think if, there's a million ways to skin a cat. There's a million ways to draft. There's a million philosophies. There's a million ways to restock your, your farm system. There's a million ways to have a plan of attack. If you go into a draft and everything falls the way that you pre-planned it. I mean, is there much to be upset about? I mean, the fans might not get it, but you do have that. Like you're like this is exactly it fell the connect four fell exactly how we wanted it and we got what we wanted and if that's being honest and earnest and you're and they're not just giving you like optics and and, and kind of you know side talk you know does that give you a lot of uh, optimism when you hear them say something like that that sounds like obviously like they hit that they feel like they hit and that's a good that's a confidence coming out of sometimes they're like yeah we're yeah we're okay with it, it was, you know, this sounds like they were pretty pumped big time you know and. These guys, I saw something on Twitter today. Somebody was making remarks about how they drafted all these college seniors and that, you know, I guess when Mike Shirley was talking about guys and talking about their motor and their drive and that they were good clubhouse guys, you know, people were kind of uh, poo-pooing on that notion and saying negatives about, you know, getting a bunch of old guys that, you know, mm-hmm. can play double-A. Um, that's simply not the way it's going to be. Uh, if these guys can move quickly – you know, if they can dominate in the lowest levels and move quickly, they can be at a level where they are age appropriate, you know, according to against when judge against the par age for the level. Um, last year, they took a six year senior that was 24 years old um, from Butler University. Uh, Theo Denlinger, relief pitcher. Um you know, he came in, he dominated rookie ball, he dominated uh, low A, they moved him to high A. Now he's at double A and he's 25 years old and he's, you know, he's the appropriate age for the level. 
if they can get that kind of performance, they're going to be all right. They're not going to have a bunch of, you know, 26 year olds floating around in high eight. Um, that'll be good. And then you, real quick, real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you say that Noah Schultz mono? Yes. Yeah. So that means two of the top three picks for the Chicago White Sox have dealt with mono over the last year and a half. Just as a small little weird bit of, apparently, uh, Jonathan Cannon was a potential first rounder in 2021, but missed the first three weeks of the season with mono. All I'm hearing is White Sox draft dudes that get with chicks. Hey, that means that means that they don't have to worry about getting mono anymore. I mean, yeah. So my question, Dan, just one more on the draft. Um, it was a little bit of a surprising pick to me. Um, I don't know. I guess I could see the need down the line, but uh, Jordan Sprinkle, uh, highly touted as a great defensive shortstop. Uh, he's got some wheels. There's a lot of work to do with the stick. Uh, have you? What have they? What What have you heard from about him? I'm just curious about him. I was told he might be the best defensive infielder in the entire draft. Well, watching this team lately, Lord have mercy, do they need someone who can play defense in that infield? So. Yeah, they, 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 I heard he might be the best defensive infielder in the entire draft. They said he has 80 grade speed. Uh, he had a bad year, but they believe in the tools. And if you look at the year prior, I think he hit it. I think he went from 340 with a 400 OBP down to 280 with a 370, 380 OBP. So, I mean, who cares about batting average these days anymore, anyway? Well, you can do a lot with 80 grade speed. I mean, I don't care if he goes up there and slap bunts three out of four times as long as he gets his ass on base, and that'd be sick. I'm going to say right now, Dan, I don't know about you, Mitch, but, Dan, you just got me hyped about this draft class. I am pumped about this draft class after talking to you because they, they sound phenomenal, and, yeah, uh, I'm – yeah, I mean – There I mean, was I another – I yeah. wanted to mention to you if it's all right. Absolutely. Um, there's a kid that they got from uh, Michigan. Uh, I believe he played at West, Western Michigan named Mario Camaletti. Um, I was told from a scout in another organization, not the White Sox, which always gives me uh, even more hope yep. when a guy from another organization says, you know, he said uh, Camaletti was my gut feel guy. Uh, he said he had arguably the best hitting approach in college baseball last year. Um, heard that he before. Said, <laughs> an igniter and he really wanted to draft him he's an undersized guy uh second baseman but then uh i was talking to uh jj lally and uh justin wexler who was the scout that that signed him and uh he said that this kid had more 10 to 12 pitch at bats than you've ever seen in your life he said he would get he said every count would get to three and two and he would just wear the pitcher down until he made a mistake and then he'd hammer him for it and uh if you watch the White Sox religiously, you know yeah. hitting approach is not something <laughs> that you always do. We need that. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say, what's he doing on uh what's he doing on Saturdays? He feel like playing some major league baseball because put him at second right now. Um I don't know, is there any other guys in the farm or in the draft dam before we let you go here? Anybody else that you want our fan base to know about? I, I really appreciate you being uh, so well prepared and gracious with your time. Is there anyone else that we should be talking about? Uh, one more. Uh, Shane Murphy uh, is a college guy that uh, John Kazanis drafted out of Arizona. Um, 
he had uh, he said that a scout in, a, in another organization that he speaks to frequently had given this kid uh, he gave him a David Peterson comp. Um, Shit. David Peterson, you know, was a Mets first rounder mm-hmm. that is doing quite well in the big leagues. Uh, Shane Murphy is the White Sox 14th rounder. Um, he was another guy. He was coming back from uh, TJ surgery this year. He only pitched nine or 10 innings. So uh, they didn't get to see a whole lot of him. Um, but because of the history they had in watching him before, um, you know, that those nine or 10 innings was enough to sell the Sox on, you know, getting this kid signed to a contract. But the thing that impressed me about what I was told, now he's a lefty. Um, right now he doesn't throw extremely hard, but he is coming back from Tommy John. And uh, he had, you know, three weeks worth of work. Um, but he had a history with them. His brother, Patrick, played, uh, he was a third round pick by the Blue Jays in 2013. He's still pitching in the big leagues for the Nationals. And John told me you know, the interesting thing about, about Murphy is that guys that come back from TJ, you know, rehab, tend to have trouble commanding their pitches. He said he had great balance, control of all three pitches, clean delivery, online, effortless. And he said this kid just absolutely paints the corners with a tiny paintbrush and has great sequencing. So, I mean, that sounds like the savvy kind of lefty that can be a back end of the rotation kind of guy. That's awesome. Well, uh, Dan, let the people know where they can find you. And again, I'm not just blowing smoke because you're here, Dan. I really appreciate what you do on Twitter. Uh, it's It helps me uh, – feel like I, I, you know, can stay in touch with what's really going down on the farm, but let the people know where they can follow you, Dan. Um, you can follow me here on Twitter, SlyDano70. Um, I also am the White Sox team correspondent for Prospects 1500. Uh, it's a website that covers all 30 organizations and their prospects. And I do uh, features and minor league coverage for uh, White Sox daily as well. Great videos, great content. Dan, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, hopefully we can uh, touch base down the line and talk about, you know, a little bit happier times when I don't want to strangle everyone on the White Sox. Hurry. Hurry. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. And if, uh, if you, I think you got that 90 feet, I think you're going to get it next time. I think you, you beat Grandall. Oh, that was yeah. I don't know. I, after Herb's display today, I, I'm, I'm I don't think I'm volunteering. I'd probably stop halfway and light a Parliament up. But uh, <laughs> we appreciate it, Dan. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Bye. Yeah, and honestly, right. if, if if we did a foot race, a hundred percent, it has to be on grass. It has to be on grass. I'm not running ninety feet. I if don't that, run. If, if your it's upper like, torso at our age gets in front of those legs, you're screwed. You're going down. You're going literally on my tombstone. It's going to say like loving husband, father, brother, whatever. And then it's going to say he didn't run. I don't run, dude. I don't run. That's why I play golf. You don't (laughs) run. I don't run. Um, Dingers only. Two two awesome guests, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys, I've never knew more about the Cubs draft in my entire life than what just happened there. It was funny. Me and Mitch didn't say a fucking word because I was literally like, this is actually really interesting. Um, and then Dan's a great guy, a lot of personality. And, I, and I'll say it again. Now that he's not here, you got to follow the guy on Twitter. If you're, if you're a big white Sox fan, you got to follow the guy on Twitter. Always first with the videos, always first with the analysis. Mm-hmm. He's not kidding. When he says these guys are like family to him, he'll put up videos of them, like sitting down eating together. And he'll be like, Hey man, real quick. What do you think about the, it's like, yeah. he, he's in the shit 
for lack he of a better a lot term. Of and scouts, scouts, you know, like I mean, he said, he talked to Coach, but like scouts respect him. He he yes. has, you know, he I has. He why he's a great guy. Big boy conversations. He has baseball yeah. conversations. Like he's he's you know when you have a conversation with people that don't have a lot of time. So if you're gonna if you're gonna take some of their time and talk to them about like a player or about about what they see or like, you know, cause again, the biggest thing is learning from others. And I think that's what Dan does so well is that he's learned from these people that he, he trusts and he, tr- and he speaks to the right people. And so he can take in that information and that data. And he's able to then again, fill everybody else in, uh, you know, almost like a, like a funnel, he funnels all that information in. And so the fact that he speaks to so many scouts and again, he, he said he's a host home or so he yeah. has players that stay he's with him. He's giving to the game too. Like in the mix. Yeah, so that's just the, in the mix. It's an absolutely great follow. Absolutely great. I know we're already at the hour and twenty minute mark, but I'm talking about the White Sox, and sir, you yeah. will listen to every word I have to say because I have the microphone. But <laughs> I'm hot. I'm hot right now because usually, out of all of my years of doing this and just being a White Sox fan in general, when the White Sox lose, it's not like when the Bears lose and you have to wait another week for them to play. You can usually just uh, let it roll off the back, you know. This loss on Wednesday to Colorado, I'm fucking pissed. That was such a bullshit loss, and it was such a perfect, like, snapshot of why this season has been so incredibly fucking frustrating. I'm going to swear a lot, too, so if you got kids, just get them out of the room. Uh, Why this season has been so incredibly frustrating, it's because stupid base running, getting picked off at third, just dumb shit, errors. Just I'm just talking about day one shit, like shit that – you teach your fourth grader his first day of little league, like basic stuff that these guys that get paid millions of dollars should know how to do backwards and in their sleep. And they mess that up. Lucas Giolito, bad first inning story of the white Sox fucking season. I can't find it. I have, I've been looking for it. I didn't really give it my full effort, but I need to find out the white Sox ERA in the first inning. Cause I feel like the white Sox in the first, if those NFRI bets that everybody loves to do, the White Sox got to be like the worst team to do that for because they just give up a run or two every first inning, which is ridiculous because then you're playing from behind the whole goddamn time. And that's no way to go through a season. And so that's driving me up the goddamn wall. And then they finally battle back. And I'm like, all right, we're putting together some hits. The White Sox are actually starting to rally a little bit, showing some sign of life. You know, maybe the stones dropped. And then the bullpen usage from TR, it just blows my mind. Jimmy Lambert, who we talked about, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, he comes in for the second day in a row, gets out of a huge situation. You know, Hendricks isn't on the table because he's dealing with altitude issues and he threw 30 pitches the day before. Let Jimmy go back out there. He threw one pitch. Well, I, it's, it's hindsight, Mitch. It's hindsight. I, I mean, you're paying the other two guys. Like, I get it, but like, yeah. it, but you made a lot of good points. It's dumb right. stuff. And at this point, you're almost like numb to it because I've been doing it all year. But you're paying Joe Kelly all this money. You brought him in for these high leverage situations in the eighth inning when you got to lead. That's who you're gonna ride with. Kendall Graven, yeah. the same thing. Guy that's been there before. Like I'm, I, I get it. But as far as like the the bullpen usage there, I actually think he used the bullpen the way like I I would have made like I I had no and I guess any of the moves he made. I guess to his and I'm just gonna be talking fiery, so I'm gonna go and backtrack a lot here. But in his defense. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't like, oh, I can't wait. Joe Kelly's definitely going to get hurt. You know what I mean? Like, he got hurt again, which what a horrible signing that's turning out to be. I mean, it's just – and then Grayman just – he couldn't find the zone, dude. Walks well, today the, it was yeah. evidence of why trade deadline, biggest need, 
some more bullpen help, especially because one of your best guys, Aaron Bummer, is like they don't know if or when he's going to be back, which is really concerning. So injuries I mean, suck. It, I'm I'm not trying to downplay injuries. Injuries suck, and I'm sure they didn't plan on all these guys getting hurt. But the only position player that they gave money to this offseason was fucking Larry Garcia. All yeah. the rest of the money went to this bullpen. And now we're sitting here at the trade deadline and the top need is bullpen. Yeah. Like that, that pisses me off too. Because and, you know, everyone was saying we need left-handed power. We need left-handed power. Guess what? They're lacking yeah. left-handed power. It's like, well, I mean, power. we all saw it and it would have been nice to have a Kyle Schwarber on the roster right about now, but, but you know. for, for all these reasons that I just mentioned is that's why this is like the perfect snapshot of why the season is just why we're sitting at 500 on July 28th, because it's just bullshit, just stupid bullshit. And it's so frustrating because you know, they have the talent. Jose Abreu is having a, a, a phenomenal year. Tim Anderson, all-star starter. Yohan Mankata in the last whatever month has, I guess he's healthy now. He's hitting well with runners in scoring position. He's an a, above average defender. And then you get, but then you get Luis Robert hurt. Aloy's still not 100%. Apparently, he can't play two days in a row still. You get Grandal back, and since he's been back from injury, he's been good, but you're carrying three fucking catchers right now. It's just, it's, it usually doesn't piss me off this much, but today's loss was just like a complete microchasm of this season, and it just drove me nuts. The pitcher giving up the, the, the runs in the first inning, the having to play from behind, then the bad base running, then the errors, then the bullpen usage, and then just to blow the save, it was like your, two, your 2022 White Sox. Everywhere. And you know what's funny about it, especially now that like trade deadline season's heating up? I wrote an article today on like potential Six, acquisitions for like the trade deadline. <laughs> All the needs that the White Sox have right now are needs that they had during the offseason that everyone's like, they should address right field, second base, like bullpen help. And middle of the season, sure enough, all still needs we have because they're not properly addressed during the offseason. And to that exact point, as our good friend of the show, Mr. Hans says, Rick Hahn needs to be fired. And I like Rick as a guy. I think Rick's a good dude, but enough's enough, man. The seat like, at the table ain't cutting it anymore. Well, that and you you go into the season with these very clear cut specific needs, and here we are, you know, a couple of days away from the trade deadline, and you have the same clear cut specific needs. Right. And it's just, I mean, that is a failure as a general manager. You failed. And the White Sox are in this weird place right now because they're in this shit division where they're only what like four games back still because Minnesota lost today. Yeah. And. You know, they still have the team built to go for it. We don't know what the hell's going on with Luis Robert. And like they can't they can't sell right now. They got a, a you know, a piss poor farm system. That's not that bad. I mean, Dan literally just made me feel way better about it. But and I knew he'd be a half full guy because that's his, you know, but still like he made me feel really good about it. And so they can't really do that. But now let's talk about the trade deadline though, because there's a lot of things flying around right before we went on a report from a Dodgers beat writer said the giants are starting to take calls about jock and Rodon. Give me, Car- bring Carlos home, bring Carlos home. I'm I actually, no, I, I Carlos's arm still scares me. I know he's been really good this year, but we all remember yeah. what he did first half, second half last year, but jock would be sick on this white Sox team. <laughs> Don't jinx it. I'm just saying, but like, <laughs> I'll take either one of them, to be honest with you, at this point. But um, you know that MLB executive burner Twitter account? 
he's been hit or miss. I'm not going to say he's batting a thousand, but I'm also not going to say he's shit. You know, he has gotten a couple he things. He said right. he's a vala. Fair. Um, <laughs> he did. Somebody asked him, like, what are some moves that you've heard that would shock everybody? And he made, he like listed like six or seven different things. And the last thing he wrote was Giolito being dealt. And I was like, Whew. but that got the old wheels turning here in the factory. Contract year. Mm-hmm. Not having a great year. I'd hate to see. I I love Lucas Giolito. And what he's done for this team, you can never take away. But Lucas is struggling. Lucas is struggling. Yeah. He's he, We've seen flashes of it in a, for a couple games. He he had a really shitty first inning against the Rockies, but he did battle back like Kopik's been doing all season, like Lance Lynn's been doing all season, where they have these shitty first innings, and then they have to battle back through the next four or five innings. But they get it done. But again, playing from behind is no way to go through a season and expect to be a winning team. It's exhausting, actually. Yeah, and they showed the whites. And if you guys haven't caught on by now, I'm very much like a body language, like what's going on with this team after this loss to Colorado. That team looked like they just got fucking kicked square in the balls. Like that was a deflating. That that one hurt. And then. Yeah, and oh yeah, and that was the other thing that Mr. Ham brings up. You know, they didn't exactly have a great offseason with Giolito when it came when they were fighting over that fifty thousand dollars or whatever. He's probably still salty. I don't think he's that kind of guy where he'd be petty like that, but I'm sure it, it didn't help matters. No, it doesn't. And it, it's definitely lining up to be where like it kind of makes sense. I really don't want it to happen, but it, it you gotta kind of put your head and your heart separately and it, it makes sense. Some of the other uh, names that I've seen brought up with the White Sox, you know, obviously they have the the big prospects, the, you know, Colas, who's been tearing the cover off the fucking ball since he went to double A. Um, Cespedes, who I really haven't heard much about lately. Uh, so, so, but I also saw something that the White Sox put in offering for Ian Happ and it started with Vera. I mean, this is the type of move that needs to be made. Vera is, I mean, it's kind of what you you you're this is your window. So mm-hmm. might as well might as well send it. I'm not so sure that Tim Anderson isn't resigning here, but you know, if he doesn't, that's where Montgomery comes into play. But that meat lovers pizza in the trunk. Yeah. Um I don't think they'll trade Tim Anderson. But um no, no way, no shot. It's interesting, man, because there's a, then so you talk about like who should they be going after or what names are in return and all this stuff like that. I mean, a huge W for the White Sox would be Luis Castillo. Oh, yeah. yeah. If they can pull oh. that one out, I think they're going to make a I'm, I'm not going to say the term, the seat at the table phrase. I think they're going to make a run at it. I just think that other teams have got stronger packages that, that they can put together for something like that. Yeah. Um, that's and I know the, Red, the Reds were like hesitant about trading him to begin with. But I think at they, this point yeah, they, they decided to, to just because they're dumping everyone. Yeah, they need to, to rip that band-aid off. Um, so Rick or, uh, Rick Hahn is kind of in a position where he doesn't have much to much to. I mean, he has a kind of a built-in excuse to why he couldn't make as many moves, unless he takes on salary issued type players in return for a lesser return, you know, from him. So I, it's kind of weird. The White Sox would have to just take on more salary, I think, but they still think he can get some stuff done with some. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting. And I, I've said this again, I've said this before and I've not, now I feel even more strongly about it. This is Rick Hahn's career, this trade deadline. 
I feel like this is the most important trade deadline of his career, which can either keep him here or he can walk. But like this team was built to win this year. He needs to get crafty. He's working. He's running on fumes with that system and what he can trade. But that's why a guy like Giolito or whatever is probably going to need to be part of some kind of deal. And um, from the Reds, I like Luis Castillo and I've liked Drury. I'm, I'm, I'm Drury is growing on me. The more I'm I've been looking at Drury, that'd be a good, good pick. Uh, but I mean, the no doubt in my head that they're going to make a deal for is they, they need a lefty bullpen arm. Matt Moore. Matt Moore is the big one. Everybody's Matt Moore is the name right now. But this is where Andrew would be pretty good too. I, I would take an Andrew Chafin. But the the the, the inner division thing would be a tough. So not that it couldn't happen, but I think right. that'd probably be the best lefty on the market right behind. Or I think actually I would take him ahead of more. I mean Detroit's you fucking terrible. You want the sheriff. You want the, the sheriff. Oh, I want him, but I don't I don't think Detroit wants to keep him in the division. Yeah. They don't want to Detroit's not lining up to help the White Sox out right now. Isn't isn't he isn't it only a one year deal? So like what does it matter if they traded him to the White Sox for a seat for half right. a season? He's not gonna be with the White Sox at the end of the season, more than likely. Yeah. Um Actually, a guy I also really think would help left-handed power guy would be Josh Bell. I, I think, and now mind you, I know they got all these first basemen on the roster, but you put Vaughn Sheets would probably have to go, or he'd be said that he'd be the odd man out if they did add him. But you have him at DH, you get the left-handed power solved. Probably have to put Vaughn in right, and then obviously you got like Angle for defensive replacement later in the game. But uh, for a couple month rental, I don't think you'd have to give up that much. I know the Nationals. Mm-hmm trying to sell everyone, I think that would be a very nice pickup because you get the left-handed power thing solved. And he hits for average, too. He's hitting over 300 this year. I think that'd be a nice addition to the middle of the lineup. Yeah. And I mean... By the way, I suck. It was a two-year deal for Chafin, so never mind. I'm an idiot. Yeah, I'm seeing you up or down there as well. But he has a player option after this year. Oh, so, okay. And he will probably opt out of it, most likely. So it would be a it'd be a for Chafin. It's going to be... It, I mean... The deadline's on Tuesday. They got to get to work. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, I got to see something. The team, the on-the-field team, I mean, right now, White Sox come home for three against the Athletics and then three against the Royals. I mean, I know the Athletics just swept the Astros. No, nah, that's at home. That's one you got to swept. We all know they won't because White no. Sox, like, there's no more, like, easy wins on the schedule. This team where you can, like, chop no, it up. You learned that lesson the hard way with Baltimore. But, like, Baltimore's you, good, should win th- you should win those three. Since, like, the like, be- middle of – since the middle of June, Baltimore would have been in first place in the AL East. Baltimore's a very good team right now. But – well, we heading into that series, we all thought, oh, they're going to take three or four. This will be a good one to like write the ship. They got to do something. And I see you guys in the comments telling me not to get my hopes up and all this other shit. But like, I'm going to just because, oh, fuck. The Yankees just made a deal for Andrew Benintendi. Oh, really? Well, that kicks off yep. the trade deadline. <laughs> they uh, clearly have no faith that Toronto's going to um, make the playoffs. Jeff Passan, the New York Yankees are finalizing a deal to acquire outfielder Andrew Benintenti from Kansas City, sources tell ESPN. Three minor leaguers will be headed back to the Royals. Well, that takes them out of the Juan Soto sweepstakes, I would think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the right move for them. The yeah, only thing that's going to get weird is if they run into Toronto in the playoffs. But yeah, that's that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. They clearly have no faith that Toronto's going to make um, it. That just loads up the White Sox beating up on the Royals a little bit more in the second half schedule. It does help because they're about okay. to play the Royals six times, uh, seven times. Um, 
I am going to get my hopes up. I'm going to get hope that they do something. Um, I don't expect anything different, but this is just how I am as a fan. Like, I think it's the easy way out with most things in life to just automatically assume the worst and be pessimistic about all this stuff. But like, I don't know. Maybe the Yankees are going to get rid of Joey Gale now. Actually, they probably will. Probably. Yeah. I would think probably so. Probably cheap, too. Um, I don't know. It's just how – that's just me as how I am. I'm, I'm not going to get, like, super mad when they don't do anything. It's just I'd be more surprised. But, uh, yeah, Stanton is hurt, too. Um, where does Ian Happ go now? One of the Ooh. other 14 teams that he's been linked to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it is what it is. Um, he's I gonna, think like, uh, Greg said the same thing. He's going to net better value than Wilson Contreras because he's got a year and a half left on his deal. He's inexpensive yeah. relative oh, yeah. to someone producing from both and sides of the more, plate. And he's more versatile. versatile. Yep, exactly. Um, there will be a market for him. Yeah. For sure. I don't know. I would try honestly, as a Sox fan, I would not want to add Ian Happ for a huge like I would take, but like I would not give up a ton for him. The strikeout numbers are really high and he's really inconsistent. He's at a high right now or just value wise, but I wouldn't he has been pretty consistent over the last two seasons now. Like he was pretty inconsistent early on, but the last two years he's been he's been very I mean he's had he's had a normal you know, down here and there, but for the most part, the last two seasons, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. I've been one of his bigger critics, and he just—it's not dropping. It's—it's. It's, I think he it, he might be there now. I don't know. I mean, he, he really projected to be there when he was younger, and he—it was—he was sent down. I mean, he got the Schwarber treatment. Schwarber got the same thing. Schwarber got sent down, brought up, struggled, da, da, da. and I mean, obviously, the Cubs gave up on Schwarber for a different reason. But Hap kind of is in that little area right now where he. I mean, this might be him. I mean, it, it, it's it's entirely possible this is him. It's he's been much, much, much better since last year. It just yeah, speaking his approach of, is thick. Uh, speaking of Schwarber, I was reading an interesting article from a, a Philadelphia. One of the things I've been doing lately in the last couple of years is I follow a lot more of the local blogs for the different teams. But um, he suggested that the Phillies might just be like taking a look around and saying. You know, maybe we move a couple pieces. Not like a complete. Maybe like a. a yeah, just or just kind of like it's not going to happen this year. We got some guys that are on his way out. Maybe we make some moves. And Zach, the, the name that keeps coming up is Zach Wheeler. Which I think that's got too big of a price tag for the White Sox, but. That would be interesting. Go get they do need to make some. They need to make a move, though. Whatever move they they have to make something. They have they have to make a move, even if it's a symbolic move to show that. Because if he does the, we're going to stand pat at the trade deadline. I don't think that tells your clubhouse that you really want to do anything to help him out. I I I don't think that's going to be. I Rick Hahn, you know, he I think he realizes like he he can read the room. He's not a complete idiot. Now some of his moves, some fans may argue that he is, but like they they will make a move. I, I am very con- don't know how big or small it's going to be. They will make at least one for exactly what you said. Just like, hey, look, we're trying. Like, yep. we're trying to be. So we'll, we'll see. It'll probably be a bullpen arm and, mm-hmm. you know, nothing that moves the needle, but you never know. We'll see. Yep. 
I think they make at least three trades. That's the number I have in my head. Three trades. I think I think for the Cubs, I think you get Wilson, Hap, and Robertson. I don't think anybody else goes. I don't. I think that'll be about it for the Cubs. It, I would be shocked if anybody. I mean, maybe they'll tr- deal Stroman, but I doubt it. But here's the thing that makes me crack up. You know, and we've joked about it on here. All this Patrick Wisdom. Patrick Wisdom's the fine replacement. Blah 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 blah. blah. Why is nobody calling him up Patrick Wisdom? He's got a cheap contract. He's got under team control for like three or four more years. He hits taters, right? His stats look great. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody's calling about Patrick Wisdom. And that's very telling to me about what the rest of the league really actually thinks about somebody that shows up once in a It tells me everything. And so that's where I feel a little more vindicated there because they were trying to sell us Schwindel and Wisdom as a Cub fan as a nice replacement for Brizzo. And that just is just the gaslighting. And, and you know, so, the, I mean, with the White Sox, you got guys that are going out there and that, that have underperformed still up to this point. Whereas, I think for Cubs fans, it's the opposite direction. So I think with you guys, you know, I've seen a lot of, there's so much pessimism. I think this White Sox team is, I mean, it's shit. Stuff like today sucks. Like that shit can't happen, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But my God, like this stretch right here, I mean, it is it. Like they, 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 they really, I mean, and, and they wasted their chance today with the Twins losing too, but they've really got a good road to really take advantage of here. And they've got to do it now. It's, it's time to now shit or get off the pot. Yep. And I mean, I get it, man. I understand the pessimism and I understand, you know, why some people even give me shit, but it's just, this is just how I fan. And it's just, I, I, I like to think that they get it done. You know, am I going to be overly surprised when they don't? No, not at all. Not in the least bit. It's just more, I would, you know, that's just kind of where I stand with it. But hopefully this, Andrew Benintendi move kind of people are saying that the Juan Soto shit is handcuffing a lot of teams, but the White Sox really need to just realize they have no shot at Juan Soto. I mean, obviously, well, they have a shot, but as uh, our first guest and I said, like, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze there. So, uh, the simple fact they'd have to pay him five hundred million if you do because if you're gonna spend all this profit over, you've got to resign him. And it's not like we we all know the Sox aren't paying that much money. No, so yeah, it's about it. Uh, you guys got anything else though? I mean, we're already at the hour forty five mark. Nah. Uh-huh. Well, I just want to say thank you again to both of our guests tonight. You guys were both amazing. Uh, make sure you guys go show them love on their social medias. Um. And then, you know, if if and when the White Sox or the Cubs uh, make any kind of trades, um, we will try to go live from the at Pinwheels account on Twitter. But um, if not, mostly our personal stuff and we'll retweet it. But uh, we'll definitely be jumping in that conversation. I personally will be uh, joining um, Josh Nelson on his Twitter space on trade deadline day on Tuesday. Um, he's got a bunch of people coming, uh, just to talk about what's happening. Um, and then before we go, we need a graphic for this. Like, yeah, we need like a sound effect or a graphic, but it's been fucking getting real in the field and in the world of NASCAR, like so much so that my completely no NASCAR following Twitter account has been getting Twitter new or NASCAR news put in there. So 
Here is NASCAR Minute with our very own NASCAR Mitch. We might almost need two minutes for all the stuff that's about to happen. All right, so fair. the race this week was in Pocono, the Tricky Triangle. NASCAR fans, it's, triangle. it's always left-hand turns. It's an oval. So Pocono said, you know what? We're going to take out one of those turns. We're only going to have three, and the track is shaped like a triangle instead of an oval. Let's so go. There you go. Um, little backstory to this race, too, uh, before this race, I guess, with some of the beef that was going on. So back in the race in St. Louis, Denny Hamlin was driving. He's kind of in the lead. He was slowing up this guy, Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain had enough of it. He sent him into the wall, damaged his car. Denny Hamlin was pissed. So he's like, I'm going to get him back for this. Flash forward to Atlanta. Everyone's wondering, when's he going to get him back? When's he going to get him back? Atlanta, Ross Chastain wrecked him again. So now Denny Hamlin, he's even more pissed. He's in the media. He's like, I'm going to get this guy. He's like fuming. So everyone's wondering, when's the payback going to be? So now, flash forward to Pocono. Big strategy race, too. Kind of like a lot of cars were spinning out on turn three. Tires kept blowing out. Who knows? Uh, Ross Chastain had a really good pit cycle. Oh, he's not there, man. Front. Um, okay. <clears throat> I don't know what Dude, the he's, hell that was. He's flowing. You're fucking off his flow. Keep going, Mitch. Do he finds great. himself in the front. There's a restart. Who is he next to in the front of the pack? Ooh. Danny Hamlin. God damn so Danny Hamlin, they're racing. Ross Chastain, he's a very aggressive driver. None of the other people in the garage really like him because he wrecks everyone. It's like, hey, if you're in front of me, I'm bumping you out of the way to get the win. Well, All these other drivers are like, we don't like that. So Danny, everyone's wondering when he's going to get his revenge. They're running into the corner. Danny drives him up into the corner. Now Ross Chastain, he has got two moves because he's running out of track. It's either, hey, I'm going to lift and I get out of the way because uh, Danny's not giving much of a choice. Or he does what Ross Chastain does. He's, I'm Ross Chastain. I'm barreling in there. I don't lift for anyone. So he barrels in there. He ran out of track. He wrecks. Oh. So everyone's like, ah, Denny got him back. And then Denny goes to wins the race. Everyone's booing him because no one really likes Denny Hamlin. Screw that guy. But, uh, you know, he's like, hey, you know what? Did what I did. I wrecked my arch nemesis. Let's go. He's having a good day. His daughter was there driving around with him. It was fun. Um, you know, it, it was, yeah, I felt so bad for her. <laughs> Next thing you know, two hours after the race, there's an alert. Yeah, actually, Denny Hamlin didn't win in post-race inspection. He failed. What? So now oh. the second place car. Oh. He went. Kyle Bush. They check his car post race inspection. He failed too. So then oh. Chase Elliott, of course, you know, backdoors his way to another win. Hold on, reverse, reverse, reverse. Are the cars on like roids? Like what? What are the cars? I'll do get to that do? in a second. I'll okay. get to the reason. All right, all right. So both these cars too. They pass pre race inspection. Here, yeah. So they pass pre race inspection. So how it works? They like bring them through a scanner. They got all yeah. these lasers that go through it, make sure the measurements and everything are right. So they all pass pre race inspection um post-race inspection is a little different they have to like take the wrap off the car because they don't do paint anymore they have like a little like literal wrap that goes over it oh um, uh, yes i like, learned about this in cars three they, yeah so uh they take the wrap off for post-race inspection with the winners there was a piece of clear tape on the right front fuchsia of the car that i guess made it faster but you can't see it with the wrap over it and that piece of tape cost them thirty-five thousand dollars and the bitch. winch both of joe gibbs cars had it and, you know, notice conveniently they couldn't inspect the Chase Elliott car because that thing was in the hauler already and it was gone. So they just gave him the one without inspecting it. Fishy oh, if you ask me. But, shady you know. as fuck, dude. That and that's the first bullshit. time since 2005 when Cal Norton Jr. Uh, came in third and then shady ended up with Baker. the win over Ricky right. Bobby. Uh, so nope. in NASCAR history. But in actual, yeah, 60 years that's been since that's happened. Or since 1960, I think it was the last time the winner got disqualified. Uh, so Drama. it was a big deal. Denny was kind of Denny had some jokes on Twitter. If I would look up Denny Hamlin's Twitter, go through there. He's got he had some funny, he had some funny stuff on there. I like to just take a moment right now and say, Mitch, that was the most electrifying three minutes you've put on this show since you've joined. (laughs) I absolutely fucking love that. 
Like I love that. I'm gonna tell Aldo to clip it. I want that out in the world. That was a, <laughs> you were prepared. Our minute. Hashtag. You told me I was in. I was edge of my seat that whole story. You were. That was a beautiful <laughs> old story, my man. And the that Game of Thrones style incredible. twist with the disqualification. You think it's over with disqualification? But, but you're now asking questions too. You're like, he's Ooh. going into the corner. He's got one or two options. I was just like, what's he gonna do? But yeah, that was plus, that. By far the Thank best you. NASCAR minute. Thank we've, you. We've I'm going to the race in Indy, so maybe we'll get some more good content out of that uh, for next week. Yeah. Hopefully the and Sox I, win too, but you know, well, yeah, all we'll spells will have some interesting. NASCAR I think you got a better chance at the NASCAR, but um, <laughs> yeah, we got to come up with like a graphic or something. Yeah, for this I think I'll see if I can make something this week while I'm digging around. This is uh, that was phenomenal. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm I, am, I am blown away, Mitch. You 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 brought it tonight. That was phenomenal. That was NASCAR Minute with NASCAR Mitch. And this is a baseball podcast. Hell yeah. So, <laughs> Wait, that thing to victory lane, brother. Yeah. I mean, that was, <laughs> I am just, I'm going to go have a smoke after that. That was, woo. That was beautiful. Well, for NASCAR Mitch, the good Reverend K. Fids, I'm your boy, Southside Zoe. Uh, this is this week's Pinwheels and Ivy. And again, go show our guests some love on social media. That that was, it's not easy, always easy being a guest on someone's show, believe me. And so they came prepared. They had their notes. I loved every minute of it. So, um, and also make sure you're following us at Pinwheels Ivy Pod. Again, as trades happen, one of us will be going live uh, to talk about what's going on with the trade, our immediate thoughts. And uh, yeah. Appreciate y'all. Be good to each other. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Free build of the favorites. We here for the latest. South side or the north side. Not tuned to the greatest. Home team for the home teams. Both sides got our own rings. On the mound or the long ball. But we don't put the wrong strings. Yeah. That time of the year now, Wrigley or Gantee, so the whole league that we hear now. New show with a new mood, discussions and interviews, straight rumors that might be. This is Pinwheels and Knife, yeah. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season they get all changed. Take me out to the bar game. This is what you waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy. Every season make it all change.